Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Yeah? Hey, I tell you, one of the things I absolutely love doing is traveling from campus to campus and worshiping with uh, Church on the Rock all over this valley, participating in things like Impact Alaska, um, and just seeing God work. And I just want to tell you right now, whether it's all the way in Uganda or whether it's right here in the valley, God is at work. And uh, in one sense, it's never been better to be a Christian and it's never been better to be planted in the valley because the opportunities just keep expanding. And we're just praying that God will show us what our next steps are. Amen? Uh, Today, here's the other thing I love uh, about Church on the Rock. I love the fact that we preach through the Word, that we just take the Bible for what it is, We say, if this is what it says, then this is the way we're going to order our lives, and we have another opportunity to do that this morning, and I'm excited to bring the word to you, and it's going to be the last in our series, Wanderers, out of the book of Numbers. And we've been traveling through this book, and the book really is a book about courage. Courage is that thing that often comes... uh, to be a necessity when the thing that grips our hearts the most is tested or pushed against. The thing that we believe the most comes under attack, courage is required in those moments. And what I'm convinced of is that God is always calling his people to places of courage. And maybe you've seen that in your own life, but if we were to just go through the Old Testament and the New Testament with a real brief snapshot and take some slices of some stories out and expose them to the lie, what we would discover is incredible stories where God demanded courage from his people, where he actually called them to places of courage. You think of, for instance, Adam and Eve. We don't think of that story as being a story that demanded great courage, but you imagine being placed into a garden and being completely naked. I mean, let's just start there, right? And then you're taught, you're told that you have to not only cultivate the garden, but you have to do what? Rule it. What does that even mean? And then if you're Adam, uh, God sends you an Eve, You remember how scared you were on your wedding day, how much courage that took for you? Just imagine starting it all, how much courage was demanded of that first couple. But if we were to go through to Noah and we were to see the courage of him having to build an ark and preach to people who weren't listening for many, 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 many years, or go all the way to um, the children who are being taken out of Egypt, right? That's the story that we're in, the courage that was demanded to be able to put the blood above the doorpost. These are stories of God calling his people to courage. You go to the New Testament, the New Testament, you have Peter, you have Paul, these great apostles. Now, Peter had to learn that he could eat anything. We don't think that requires much courage here in America because we consume everything. 
But for Peter, this was a violation of his conscience, and God had to tell him in a vision and a dream, listen, all things are now sanctified, get up and eat. For him to be able to do the work of ministry. Uh, in other words, it wasn't enough for, Je- for Peter just to believe that Jesus was his Messiah. Constantly, constantly through the Holy Spirit, he was calling his church and his leaders to new places of courage. The Apostle Paul probably is one of the best examples of the New Testament, wrote half of the New Testament, and he had to leave everything familiar in his life. He had to drop it. He had to let it go in order to pick up a cross, and the prophecy from Jesus himself over his life was, I will show him how much he must suffer for me. If you were to just take that snapshot, you might come to the same conclusion that I've been convinced of for some time, and that is that God is always calling us to places where we are going to have to demonstrate and express courage. And the reason is this. I believe there's an eternal principle. Uh, There's a principle. I want to show it up here on a screen. And the principle is this, that there's a relationship between the things that we believe or the things that we hold dear that grip our hearts, our confidence, and our courage. We'll put that up there now. There's a relationship, a peculiar relationship between courage and confidence. Confidence, again, is our faith or the things that we believe. Courage is actually acting those things out or doing the things that our beliefs demand from us. And what happens is, is when we do the thing that we hold dear, when we live it out, whatever that demand is, and we actually are courageous, the arrows pointing back to confidence. It actually builds our confidence. This is why when you got on your bicycle as a little person, you knew that it was possible to ride a bike. You knew that all your siblings perhaps had ridden that bike. And your parents told you you could ride the bike. And as a matter of fact, you believed you could. But it wasn't until you got on the bike and the training wheels were off and you started down that road and you you actually did courage, you did the courageous act that what happened? You built your confidence. There's this peculiar relationship between courage and confidence that God tells us some things that we need to hold on to, things that should grip our hearts, things that we should cling to. He tells us what those things are, and in Israel, he had told them what they were. I want you to leave Egypt and everything that you know and everything that's safe and comfortable and familiar, and I want to take you to a new land. It's a good land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I want you to go there, but you're going to have to fight for it. It's going to require courage from you. And as you do that, it will build your confidence in my promises that I have delivered to you. They will be things that grow. You will pass tests. You will conquer. And as a result, you won't be afraid. You'll walk out your faith. And you'll take on giants. Now here's the other part of that relationship. If we were to reverse it, there's a consequence. If we were to believe something, we have confidence in something, and then not act in courage, then ultimately, what ends up taking place is our hearts begin to wander. It actually attacks our confidence. 
Many of us believe that one time we were supposed to start that business or that nonprofit or get married or do that thing or go on that trip. And as time went on, as we lacked the courage to actually do that thing that we believed God was calling us to do, we even lost our confidence that we ever could hear the voice of God to begin with. And having lost our confidence, our hearts began to wander. As we look at numbers, what we discover is a people of God and they're out there in the wilderness. And what began as a confident journey ends up becoming a 40-year failure. What should have taken them two weeks to get through took them 40 years. And an entire generation is lost in the wilderness because of a lack of courage, which eroded their confidence, which caused them to wander away from God. Courage builds our confidence. What's clear is only Moses and a select few have the courage necessary to actually enter the land. And in fact, Moses doesn't because of a sin, but not of a lack of courage. But there are very few that have the courage required to enter the land. Um, and if we're looking, we know where to find courage. Um, if we're looking for courage, we know where to find courage. Courage is found in the lion's den, isn't it? Courage is found in places of adversity. It's never found by you know, green pastures and pools of still waters. That's not where you find courage if you're looking. You find courage where, uh, where the shadow lands are, where the desert places are, where the soil is, is lost its nutrition and is hard to turn over. You look for courage where there is warfare, where the battle is raging. That's where you look for courage. And what we know, what we know is everybody has examples of courage. Every culture on earth has heroes. Maybe your family has heroes in it. The problem is, is that courage is not automatic, is it? The interesting thing about courage is you don't really know if you're going to have it when you need it sometimes. A lot of us thought we would be really courageous. Do you remember camping out that first time? Maybe you were, maybe you were at camp. And, and this was the year for you to not be afraid of the dark. And, and you decided that, that what you would do is you would test this out and, and you would leave your cabin and you would head to the bathroom and there wouldn't be anybody with you and, and you were gonna be okay, only to discover, no, you were still afraid of the dark. And you ran back and climbed into your dad's arms. I don't know, right? The reality is, is that we don't always know if courage is coming or if we're going to have what we need at the moment. It's not automatic. For some of us, it's not natural. Maybe some have more courage than others naturally, for, but many, many, it doesn't even come naturally. Most of us, instead of fight, we have flight. The other interesting thing about courage is it's not a commodity. Wouldn't it be great if it was? Wouldn't it be great if you could just say, okay, there's a, there's a trial coming in my life, and, uh, and I just need a little bit more courage, God, so uh, how much does it cost? 
and I could just buy what I needed, and then I could move into whatever trial that I was moving into, and I could know that I had courage. So the question is that I want to pose this morning is, how do you get it? How do you get courage? We know who has it. We can see it in people. We know where to look for it, places of adversity. The question is, how do you get it? How do you get courage? Like Joshua, like Caleb, like Moses, like the people that we see in the Bible, and particularly here in the book of Numbers. Well, that's the question I want to answer this morning as we land the plane on this series. And I want to look particularly at three stories. These stories um, are really stories of adversity. They're stories of failure, Israel's failure. And each one of these stories highlights the courage of Moses and others, but particularly Moses. And as we go through each one of these stories, we're going to learn something, but we're going to highlight something about Moses that allowed him to persevere and courage. And we're going to come to some conclusions as we back our way out of the passage. But here's what's so interesting. The first story of failure comes to us in Numbers chapter 12. And in Numbers chapter 12, um, you have really um, the first 11 chapters of, quite frankly, some decent successes. I, I mean, Moses has communicated everything that God wanted him to, set up some great things, established this nation with some great rules, and the people had really echoed back. They had really, I think, in the deepest parts of their hearts said yes to God. They wanted what God wanted. I think in many situations, if not in most, uh, the majority of the children of Israel said, we believe that, that, that where God is leading us is the place that we want to go. And many of us start a journey with God in exactly that same location. But somewhere along the line, things became hard. In fact, it's a word that's used to introduce the story I'm about to share with you. Things became hard. I mean, think about it. Uh, every morning you got up, you set your tent, and then, um, and then maybe you'd live in that location for a little bit. Uh, but, but life was fairly mundane. There's a hardness to mundane, isn't there? There's a stress even that can come with it. It's like, it's like there's motion but no promotion. Like, where are we going, God? Are we ever going to get to our final destination? How does this moment connect to my other moments? How does it all relate? I don't know what to do with all of that. And then they would pick their tent up, and then they would move, and then they would pitch their tent, and then, well, they would pick their tent up again, and then they would move, and then they would pitch their tent, and this routine became oppressive until eventually they begin to complain in chapter 11. And by chapter 12, the complaint has actually risen all the way up into the leadership closest to Moses. You know, there's a few things God really hates. And when we use the term hate, in Hebrew or in Greek, the idea is rejects. There's few things God rejects. In other words, few things he cannot bless. He must judge. One of them is complaining. Now, if somebody's ever complained or criticized you, maybe you can feel a little bit about the emotion in the heart of God. It's a destructive thing, criticism, isn't it? Now, I'm not talking about constructive criticism. Frankly, we all need a little bit of that. 
I'm talking about grumbling, disputes, complaint. And here we have a complaint that arises in chapter 12 with Moses' closest allies, Miriam and Aaron. They criticize Moses, and here's the reason, verse 1, because Moses had married a Cushite. Uh, This Cushite was from, well, the land of Cush, back in Egypt. There was a group of people that had actually joined Israel as they wandered into the wilderness, and they were not Israelites or Jewish, they were from the peoples of the land, the regions, and they also believed in God, and they also spread the blood over their doorposts, and they kind of became part of this great band that was wandering in the wilderness. And Moses, Moses had, well, he had undergone some pretty serious Serious things in his own family. At one time, he had been married. In fact, he had a couple children, but he was divorced by the time he goes in to rescue the children of Israel out of Egypt. He had suffered some losses. And here, in this moment, he makes the decision, I'm going to marry a Cushite. This has actually been an incredibly controversial passage because she's black and he's not. And so through the centuries, people have really wrestled with this. Are we on Aaron and Miriam's side or are we on Moses' side? But clearly Moses is not violating any of God's principles. In fact, maybe he's actually leading in some capacity here. But whatever the case may be, Aaron and Miriam, well, their consciences are violated by this interracial marriage. And they said this to themselves, really, Does the Lord speak only through Moses? Does he not also speak through us? And this is fascinating. Since Moses is the one writing this down, the Lord heard it. It's funny about criticism, isn't it? It has a way of leaking out. The Lord heard it. The Lord heard it. And here's how the Lord Responds with some anger, but then Moses responds. Moses cries out to the Lord, God, would you, uh, I'm sorry, I skipped a step. Let's go back. (laughs) Moses is criticized by them and the Lord hears it. All right, here we go. It's interesting as we look at Moses, um, there are some deficits in Moses. He wasn't very good at speech. Um, we now know he was divorced. Um, apparently he has a thing for foreign women. Are you, are you with me? Uh, he, uh, he actually calls out God as a nursing mother. That's a little weird, don't you think? There's some things, if we were to inspect Moses' life, that look like weaknesses or deficits. But it's interesting because of the criticism, we might go the opposite direction and say, why would you dare criticize a man that God has handpicked? Why would you be that bold? If we were to look at the life of Moses, the truth is he's also an exceptional leader. He's a prophet. In fact, the Jews believed he wasn't just any prophet. He was the prophet. Like the, the, the best prophet to have ever prophesied prophet. He's also acting as a priest. He's a mediator between God and man. I mean, that's pretty exceptional. He's called an apostle. If you go to 
the actual text in Exodus, God says to Moses, Moses, I have made you God to Pharaoh. That's quite a statement. I have made you God to Pharaoh. Moses, you're like Pharaoh's God. If we're to go into the New Testament, Israel, by the first century, actually believed and, 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 and taught that Moses was the first king of Israel. Not only that, but you could be baptized in the name of Moses. You could believe in the name of Moses and receive some form of rescue. If we were to look at Moses, we would be to look at somebody that God has sanctioned. And yet, here, he's criticized. Well, what happens next is interesting. Uh, the story takes a turn for the worse. Because the Lord hears it, he actually curses Miriam. She seems to be inspiring the criticism and leading Aaron in this direction. And, um, and then what happens is she breaks out in leprosy. Well, Aaron won't have this. They understand that they have sinned a great sin. And they beg Moses, and they say, Moses, Lord, would you, would you pray to God? Would you mediate for us so that... My sister, Miriam, your sister will not be like somebody who's stillborn. So here's Moses' response. Moses cries out to the Lord, and he says, God, you know, she really did hurt me. Would you just do her in? He does something that maybe you and I wouldn't do in this moment. I mean, he is the most powerful person in the world. He is like God to Pharaoh. If this was a moment where he could stand up and say, has not God said, this could have been it. There's something about Moses that's peculiar here. Something that, well, I think is quite courageous. Rather than feeling the need to somehow defend himself, instead, he shows an uncommon compassion to Miriam. He pleads with the Lord and actually says, God, please, and we say, heal her, but really the term is, heal now. I pray now. Would, would you just take this leprosy and immediately may it be gone? I don't want to see it again. He prays on her behalf and expresses incredible compassion. There's story number one. Story number two. Story number two we actually have another group in Israel, and this group is led by a man named Korah. And Korah wasn't actually a Jew. He's part of the mixed audience that comes into Israel as well. But, but he has seen all the glory of God on display, right? I mean, he has seen the cloud, the pillar, uh, you know, the fire by night. He has seen God's glory open up the seas. He has participated, and he and everybody else. And he has entered into covenant relationship with God, and he believes in the promises of God. And he gets to wondering why Moses gets so much news, and why not him? And here's what he does. Verse 3, chapter 16 Mo, Korah leads a rebellion against Moses. They come together against Moses and Aaron and tell them, you have gone too far. Moses, Aaron, you've crossed the line. Uh, we don't believe we should follow you one moment longer. 
And here's why. Everyone in the entire community is holy. That's true. And the Lord is among them. That's also true. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the Lord's assembly? That was a lie. And we have this onslaught against Moses once more. I mean, just a few chapters later, and it didn't even matter that God had judged those like Miriam who had turned on Moses, and everybody had seen it, and they had seen not only his justice, but his mercy and compassion on display. Here, they come at Moses once again. And again, I think, if I'm looking my way through this text, like Moses, hey, man, this is your chance You believe in a wonder-working God, and he has given you permission to perform incredible miracles unlike ever has been seen on earth ever before. Hey, man, you are like God to Pharaoh. Remember that? Like, this is not the time to waver. This is the time to demonstrate the power of God. This is the time to say, do you know who you're talking to right now? I mean, could you feel it? Korah wasn't by himself, actually. There are a whole group of individuals, leaders in Israel, a bunch of Levites. And really at the core of their complaint was they didn't trust that the Lord had granted the kind of authority to Moses that they saw Moses and Aaron claiming. And, and, and more so, they sort of, well, they just, like you and me, wanted more. They wanted more. It wasn't enough, it wasn't enough that God had given them a covenant position in his house. It wasn't enough that he had rescued them from slavery. It was just never quite enough. And so they become guilty of overreach. They decide that they also want to be priests and they want to be their own rulers. They no longer need a leader. And as a result, they get out of order in God's design. They shirk his plan and purpose for their life. It's something that you and I can do. When we believe we, well, we should break through every glass ceiling that's in our way. Or or maybe uh, we think, hey, um, we didn't get here so that we can stay here. Uh, We were meant to move further. Uh, We were meant to go faster. Uh, we We were meant to do all the things. But there's a problem with that thinking. The first problem might be obvious. People who think that way have a very difficult time ever finding peace, let alone rest. They're often not content with themselves or anybody around them. But the other problem that can expose itself, as it did in this situation, is it can be a lack of trust in God. You know, we all have a capacity And if we fail to live within the realm of that capacity, we can become very unwise. Not only not trusting God, but bringing some form of judgment on ourselves. Can you imagine me being 90 years old and dressed, well, dressed like I am right now? Or, you know, there's those people, and they don't be offended, they do the comb over, and that's because... They've forgotten their seasons to life, right? Well, you can imagine, you just take that a little further. We begin to be unwise because we no longer see our capacities. The fact of the matter, matter is limits are okay. 
limits can be wise. It was Jesus who limited himself to fulfill his very specific purpose. And that's okay. That can be a place of rest. Well, that's not where Korah was. He wanted more, and so he tried to find a way. Well, Moses responds to Korah, but he doesn't respond like we would think. I mean, here it is again. He hears this, and here's how he responds. He falls face down. Not in worship, but what he's doing is he's recognizing publicly that he's been undone. He's overwhelmed. He's been outmatched. The people have rebelled. He knows Korah is going to win unless God intervenes. I mean, how has it come to this? But then he speaks. He speaks and he says to Korah and his followers, tomorrow morning the Lord will reveal who belongs to him. The Lord will reveal who it is. He will let the one he chooses come near. Moses does something strategic. When somebody attacks us, we tend to respond in kind. Moses does not. Moses refuses to claim his own authority. If power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, Moses is an anomaly because he has all the power and he's not corrupted. In fact, he's got this incredible ability to be courageous and let God do his bidding without ever feeling the need or the temptation to defend himself. Could you imagine living that way? Moses could. The third story is a story of seduction. Comes to us from chapter 25. Israel is under an acacia grove. Verses one and two. And the people begin to prostitute themselves. Prostitute themselves. In other words, they were under a covenant, a marriage contract with God. They were seen as God's bride, just like the church is. But they were unfaithful as a bride. They were prostituting themselves with the women of Moab. The women invited them to the sacrifices for their gods, and the people ate and bowed in worship to their gods. So Israel, it goes on, verse 3, aligned itself with Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So the Lord decides this is the time to speak up. Israel has aligned itself to a new husband, as it were. The Lord says to Moses, take all the leaders of the people, and here's what I want you to do. This is hard. Execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that his burning anger may turn away from Israel. What happens to you when God calls you or asks you to do something Courageous, but it's more than you bargained for. Perhaps this is what Moses is going through in this very moment. I mean, these aren't just people. These are his people. In a very real sense, he was a shepherd and these were his sheep. And yet God is asking him to do something. Well, once again, we have an uncommon response. Here's his response. Verse 5, Moses told Israel's judges, kill. And so they do. I mean, this is like Abraham and Isaac without the good ending. 
This is one of those hard asks. If you want to know why, you can go backwards in the Bible and you can read about how God made a promise to Israel and if they obeyed it, they would have blessing, but if they didn't obey it, there would be cursings. You can go back and you can read how Israel said, we believe and we will do and we will come under this contract. You can, you can read why this is a just thing to do, but no matter how you look at it, this is a hard thing to do. It was the cost of leadership in this moment, and yet Moses has the courage to act in this moment. In fact, this one story becomes a story all throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament in Corinthians. It's a story about the justice of God and the leadership of Moses. Now here's the thing. All three acts of rebellion that Israel experiences end in Israel's regret, except Moses. Moses never has to go back and regret. In fact, Moses seems to stand out as a hero. He seems to stand out as somebody that is willing to stand alone, stand against it all, stand for God in the midst of the people. No matter what the cost, no matter what the price. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Daniel in the lion's den, Moses stands out as a man of courage. The question is, where did he get it? How did he get it? How did he get that courage? Maybe even, how did he maintain courage in these moments, in these three stories of failure? Well, something is said about Moses in the book of Numbers, chapter 12, that really emerges and stands out. And I believe, I believe it's the secret sauce to courage. I believe it's the thing that actually helps us to acquire or activate courage when we need it most. And the thing is humility. We don't automatically think that direction, do we? But the reality is, is that in chapter 12, it is said of Moses that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. It's like in the middle of these stories of failure, some declaration is made about his essential character. He's humble. He's humble. Uh, humble. Um, humility is one of those interesting things. Like, what is it? Actually, if you go to the Greeks and the Romans, they thought humility was the worst kind of thing. Not only was it not a virtue, but if you were to apply humility to society, it was a detestable, radical, shameful, and destabilizing element. Nobody ever wanted to be called humble in Rome. And many people still look at humility through that light. The definition humility really just means, hey, uh, uh, view yourself like who you really are, or maybe who you really aren't. Either way, it works, right? It's living in reality about yourself rather than inflating yourself or deflating yourself. It's God, who am I? And then living there. I remember my dad used to say to us as we would go to school or go to a sporting event and go away somewhere, he would say, Jonathan, remember who you are. He was literally saying, walk humbly before your God. 
and you can be blessed. Remember who you are. Remember who you aren't. Remember who you are and don't forget it. And if you don't forget it and you live there, this will be the engine that gives you courage in the moment that you need it most. Jesus really serves as the ultimate example of humility, not Moses. In Gethsemane, we see Jesus, and he's there praying, and you're all there with me. We've seen that on the big screen, and we've talked about it many times over. And Jesus says those words, not my will, but yours be done. He's not actually saying, I don't want to do what you want me to do, but okay. He's not like giving in. It's much more clear in the original language. What he's actually saying is, suffering is not on the table for me, humanly speaking. I don't want to suffer. Nobody does. But I want what you want more than what I want. It's literally saying, Jesus, what, or God, whatever you want, the answer is yes. That's what I want. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever lived your life that way, in that direction? Where you actually said to yourself, whatever it is that comes today, whatever emotions that I might have, whatever experiences I might encounter, God I want what you want more than whatever it is that I naturally want. That's Moses. And as a result of that, Moses has this uncanny ability to, well, experience courage, to stand alone. And it was because of this declaration in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus that Jesus is able to endure the shame and the humiliation of the cross. It's the reason Moses was able to endure the shame and the humiliation of those who rebelled against him in the assembly. And it's the reason you and I can endure so much and have so much courage and even stand by ourselves if needed to do the right thing when we're living in reality, when we know who we are. You see, Moses believed that he wasn't the great king. He knew the king. He was an instrument of the king. And he would not initiate anything because he did not play himself. But when God, when God blew through his life, music happened. And so long as he stayed an instrument, he understood he had all the power of God at his disposal. And he leveraged it to the glory of God and led a people out of Egypt to the promised land. Moses' humility was activated. And it activated his courage. For the final word on Moses, you can go to Hebrews chapter 11. I think this is fascinating. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer. That's courage. He chose it. He knew when he made this decision, the cost, but he knew he wanted God's agenda more. So he had courage. Because humility precedes honor. 
He chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Four, four, verse 26, he considered reproach for the sake of Christ. You see, Moses was looking to the horizon. He was looking beyond his immediate circumstances. He was claiming those promises of God beyond his immediate circumstances, which helped him to understand who he was and who he wasn't, and helped him to align himself with the agenda of God in the temporary moments. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. Moses knew where he was heading. He had his bearing. He knew where he was heading, and as a result, he avoided the traps and the pitfalls that ultimately sunk their teeth into that first generation that could not make it into the promised land. He knew where he was heading, and so he was able to stand firm. If there is anything that I can pass on to my children, it's know who you are. Know who you are. Because if you know who you are, then you can stand any test that Satan can throw at you. If you know who you are and you're living in God's reality and you're on his frequency and you're living according to his purpose, then you have all access to all of his power. You never need to defend yourself. He will be your defense and he will fight your battles for you. Which leads me to this question. What if we lived like we knew what was on the horizon? You know, we do. We do know what's on the horizon. God is going to keep calling us to places of courage until he comes for us. That's what he's going to do. He's going to call us to constantly be stepping out into new places of courage until he comes. As the worship team comes back, I just, just want to share one example that has inspired me recently, an example of courage as I was thinking through this passage, thinking through the book of Numbers. And I have so enjoyed my study in the book of Numbers. And it's the example that is in my own home, an example of courage, my daughter Kate. I have a picture of Kate in her soccer garb. And Kate's an exceptional person. She's an artist. She's a cook. Anything she touches in that realm seems to turn to gold. But what not everybody knows about Kate is that she was born with a cord wrapped around her neck. She was breached. She was C-sectioned. And she continued to have health problems to the point, at one point in her life, where she began to feel like she just couldn't be healthy and she wasn't healthy and her body may be the enemy. And I remember sitting in her bed one night praying for her before she went to bed and she interrupted my prayer and she looked at me with terror in her eyes and she says, Dad, my head is about to explode. It was the beginning of panic attacks. And I was, as a father, completely helpless to stop it. I rushed her to the hospital to affirm what we already knew, that she was having panic attacks and these continued for the better part of a year. But I was also there. I was also there when last year at the Echo Missions Conference up on stage, she declared to me, Dad, Dad, 
I want to go. I want to go. Wherever God leads me, I want to go. And what she was actually fundamentally saying in that moment to me as her dad was this. I trust God with my body. Whether he's calling me to reach my neighbor or somebody in Uganda. Whatever God is calling me or asking me to do, I will step out in courage because I trust him. I know him. And I want to live in his reality. And I believe as a result, she will get to do some of those things. She already is. She's already a witness for Jesus Christ. And I'm so proud of her. I'm proud of all my children. But she has endured so much. She has suffered so much. And yet has courage. And if there's one thing that I could impart to you, it's that you would know Jesus as your Savior. That you would know who you really are. So you could have courage to live the life God has called you to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for everybody in this room. For giving us life and breath. For allowing us, Lord, to proclaim your excellencies. Thank you for this example we find in Moses. For who he is. For the courage he possessed. Help us, Lord, to know what to do with it this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.